All right, well, Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, If you have a copy of your Bible nearby, you might open it up to the book of Micah. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And if you don't have a copy of your Bible nearby, that's okay. Just look at the screen. This prophecy uh, says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will go forth for me, one from you one rather will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This is... Um, I think one of the most fascinating prophecies in the Bible because this was written 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years is a long time when you think about it. That's like the United States of America times three, you know, give or take. I didn't major in math, by the way, but you get you get the general idea. And what it does is it lays out the Christmas message. So one of the things that I've done is I've taken this, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and I've divided it into seven major words or concepts. And I'm going to talk you through these uh, real briefly this evening in this devotional. The first word is that word eternity, eternity. And you'll see it right there at the end of Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It says his going forth, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. The Hebrew word for eternity is olam. And it just means forever. And here it's in reference to God. It's in reference to God's Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the uncaused cause. There never was a time in which He didn't exist. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, think the life of Jesus began with His virgin conception. And that simply isn't true. He has always been. At the virgin conception, humanity, though was added to eternally existent deity. But this word olam is used frequently to describe God. Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, Olam. Jesus Christ is the eternally existent second member of the Godhead. And that's why the virgin birth, the virgin conception is such a big deal. Uh, If Jesus had had a normal conception, he would have had a point of origin. When did we begin as human beings? At the point of conception. But if Jesus had had a normal conception, there would have been a beginning point for Jesus. And so it was absolutely necessary for God to put into motion a miracle whereby Jesus would be virgin-born. He had to be virgin-born for a lot of reasons. 
uh, not the least of which is his eternality. And so what Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is predicting 700 years before Jesus ever showed up is eternity itself is coming to a city. And the second word I've picked here from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is the word ruler. Ruler. You'll notice again Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It says, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. A lot of people look at Jesus as if he's sort of their consultant. You know, they kind of live their lives the way they want and... Lord, I'll, I'll kind of check in with you when things get rough kind of mindset. But that's not why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to rule. These songs that we sang earlier, you'll notice over and over again uh, the word authority, ruler, realm. He came to rule in an unchallenged way in the hearts of people. And he's coming back to bring his kingdom upon the earth where he will not be outvoted by the population. He will rule from sea to sea, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. Jesus is the king. He's the king. Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22 says of God, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. Those are the three ways that political power is exercised. The judicial branch, an interpreter. The legislative branch, the lawgiver. And the executive branch, the king who executes the law. You might recognize in that the three separation of powers in our United States Constitution coming from that verse. But these are all in reference to Jesus Christ, who is king. First Timothy chapter six, verse 15 calls him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You'll see the same description of Jesus when he comes back. It says in Revelation 19, verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, in, in language, we call this a superlative, meaning the ultimate. It's like saying the holy of holies. Uh, you're not just dealing with a holy place. You're dealing with the most holy place on planet Earth, the holy of holies. And this is a superlative used to describe Jesus. He is not just king, but he's the king of kings. He's not just Lord, but he is Lord of lords, and he has come into this world to rule. The third word that I'll draw your attention to from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, written seven centuries before Jesus ever showed up, is the word Israel. Notice what the prophecy says, from you will go forth from me one to be ruler in Israel. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, Jesus is called the King of the Jews. And it was God's design to form the nation of Israel through the patriarch Abram, who later became Abraham, 
and to bless the world through that special nation. God, when he was forming the nation of Israel, said to then Abram, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is why Jesus had to come into the world through the nation of Israel. Not the Egyptian nation, not the Phoenician nation, not Assyria, not Babylon, not any other nation, but the nation of Israel. Numbers 24 and verse 17, a prophecy also given of Jesus. It says, I see him now, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down the sons of Sheth. You'll notice that the coming of Jesus is connected to a star. This is why the wise men coming from Babylon, who I believe had access to this prophecy given by Balaam. Balaam lived in the Babylonian area. And these wise men came to the land of Israel to pay proper homage to the newborn king following a star, a peculiar star that appeared in the sky. And they had an interest in it because of this prophecy. And they knew that the Messiah, when he comes, must be born in Israel, because that's what it says there in Numbers 24, verse 17, a star shall come forth from Jacob. And then this verse defines who Jacob is. A scepter, that's authority, shall arise from Israel. And this is why the prophet Micah, seven centuries in advance, makes reference to Israel. We know that the Messiah will be a man. We know that he will be from the Semitic people groups of the earth, according to prophecy. We know that he is coming from not just Abraham's line, but also Isaac's line and ultimately Jacob's line from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meaning he must be an Israeli, he must be a Hebrew. And that's why Micah chapter 5 verse 2 mentions him coming forth from Israel. But Micah chapter 5 verse 2 gets even more specific, and this is our fourth of seven, seven words. He must come forth from Judah. Notice Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. The prophecies are very, very specific concerning the first coming of Christ. He must be a man, yes. He must be from the Semitic people groups of the earth, yes. He must be from Abraham's line, Isaac's line, and Jacob's line. In other words, he must be Israeli, a Hebrew, But scattered throughout the nation of Israel were 12 tribes. Jacob, the patriarch of the nation of Israel, had 12 sons. And from those 12 sons, we call them Jacob's dozen, came 12 tribes. And what Micah chapter 5 is pinpointing here is the specific tribe that Jesus would be born into, the tribe of Judah. He's not coming from Simeon, he's not coming from Levi, he's not coming from Reuben or any other um, 
tribe. He's coming specifically from the tribe of Judah. And you would think that the honor would go to Reuben, the firstborn, or the honor would go to Simeon, the secondborn, or the honor would go to Levi, the thirdborn, but Micah says, nope, that none of that is true. Keep your eye on Judah, because that is the specific tribe that this ruler is going to be born into. Jacob, in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, just prior to his death, gave a prophecy concerning the ruler, Jesus Christ, coming from Judah. He said in Genesis 49 verse 10, the scepter, that's authority, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh, essentially means peace, Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Notice uh, the repetition of authority. He's come into the world to rule in the hearts of his own people. And he's coming into the world, this authority, through the tribe of Judah. This is why John, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and verse 5, is told to stop weeping. John was weeping in Revelation chapter 5 because he didn't think there was anyone worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll, which is the title deed to the earth, which means the world will just continue on and on under Satan's authority. And he starts to cry. But one of the elders said to him, Stop weeping. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. If Jesus had been born in any other tribe, he would have lacked the authority to open this seven-sealed scroll to bring God's kingdom to the earth one day because Micah's prophecy would have been violated. The fifth uh, word here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 that I'll draw your attention to is the word Bethlehem. Micah just doesn't tell you which tribe Jesus is going to be born into. He gives you the city, of the, the specific city of that tribe. And you'll see the word Bethlehem right there at the beginning of Micah 5, verse 2. It says, but as for you, Bethlehem. And that really is an astounding prophecy when you think about it because the whole attention of the Old Testament is the city of Jerusalem. That's the city of promise. That's the city that the Messiah Messiah is going to reign from one day. That's the uh, main center of worship in the nation of Israel. And Micah says, you know what? This eternal one that's coming is not going to be born in Jerusalem. If this had been written by man, they would have just put the story together and said, well, he's going to be born in Jerusalem. But Micah says, no, he won't be born in Jerusalem. He will be born in a city about two miles south of Jerusalem, a city, as I'll show you in a minute, of great insignificance called Bethlehem. The sixth word that's very significant here that I'll draw your attention to is the word Ephratah. 
Micah, as the Holy Spirit has given him this prophecy 700 years in advance, does not just identify Bethlehem, but he identifies which Bethlehem through the accompanying expression Ephratah, Bethlehem of Ephratah. Now, just like in the United States, um, there are a lot of different cities with the same name. So you might recognize uh, the city Montgomery. I think Montgomery's in Alabama. And so I consulted um, Rabbi Google and and then Rabbi Siri, and I said, uh, how many Montgomery's exist in the United States of America? I was sort of surprised to learn that there are 22 Montgomery's. So if you're going to use the word Montgomery, you got to tell me which Montgomery you're talking about, because according to Rabbi Google, there are 22 Montgomery's in the United States of America. So you could be referring to one Montgomery, and I could be thinking of a different one entirely. It's the same reality with this city of Bethlehem within the narrow land confines of the nation of Israel because there were actually two Bethlehems. The Bethlehem that is most famous, that we know about the most, the birthplace of Christ, is right next to Jerusalem, the circle down below, down south. But at the time of Christ, there was a completely different Bethlehem outside the tribal territory of Judah, outside uh, Judah in the Naphtali sort of Galilee region. So it's very interesting to me that Micah chapter 5 verse 2, by using this expression Bethlehem, is so specific that he actually tells you which Bethlehem he's talking about. And that's what it means when he throws in this accompanying expression, Bethlehem Ephratah. In other words, it's not going to be the Bethlehem up north, it's going to be the Bethlehem down south. He specifies 700 years in advance which Bethlehem the Holy Spirit has in mind concerning the birthplace of Jesus. And so all of these words, you can build an entire uh, Christmas narrative just from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Eternity, olam, someone of authority that's destined to rule, is going to be born through the nation of Israel. But he won't just be born through the nation of Israel. He will come through a specific tribe of twelve the tribe of Judah, and if that information weren't enough, uh, let's locate the exact city within the tribe of Judah, Bethlehem. And by the way, let's throw the word Ephratah in. So we're not talking about the Bethlehem in Galilee, we're talking about the Bethlehem two miles south of Jerusalem. This is what detail the Holy Spirit went into, a script in advance revealing the birth of Jesus that we are celebrating tonight and and tomorrow. I hope you understand something about your Bible. Your Bible reveals history before it happens. The Bible is able to do this because it was written by an omniscient, all-knowing God who knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. 
As far as I know, the Bible is completely unique in this feature revealing history in advance. I know of no other holy book or alleged holy book, whether you're talking about the Book of Mormon, whether you're talking about the Quran, that reveals history in advance the way the Scripture does. It would be like if I wanted to identify you, I could figure out what hemisphere you're living in. And then I could get more specific and explain what country you're living in. And then if you're living in the United States, I could get more specific and identify the, the one of the 50 states that you're living in. And then I could get more specific and I could identify the city in that state that you're living in. And then I could get even more specific within that city and I could identify you by your zip code. And then I could figure out what street you're on and identify you by your street address. And let's say you're living in a uh, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, four-bedroom house. I could get even more specific and identify what bedroom you sleep in. And if I did that before you ever lived, that would be astounding, wouldn't it? (laughs) That's what the scripture is doing here with this man, Jesus Christ, in the Micah chapter 5, verse 2 passage. Now, the final word that I'll draw your attention to is the word little. This is the most amazing part of it to me. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. This is why man could not have written this. If man had written this, he would have created some great story of eternity and a ruler And he would have made him born in the most famous city in the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. I mean, after all, you're not going to have eternity and a ruler coming forth from some little insignificant city. And yet, this is how God, in human flesh, chose to make his entrance into our world. He came into our world to be our ruler and our authority, but he came through the most humble means possible, being born in a very insignificant city, being born in a manger, because the inn, you know, the Ramada or whatever, he was, there was no room for him in the inn, so he was born in a manger. God in human flesh, eternity itself, the eternally existent second member of the Godhead, chose this little, tiny, insignificant city that most people have never heard of. They've heard of it now because he was born there, but when Micah had this particular prophecy given to him from God, most people had probably never heard of this little insignificant city, and yet that's where God decided in his sovereignty to make our entrance into our world. This is how God works. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. He came into the world to die a grueling death, a death of humiliation for our benefit. And it all started with his birth into our world in this little, unknown, insignificant city that Micah identifies 700 years in advance as Bethlehem of Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. There's no way a human mind could have ever written a script like this. God doesn't act this way in the minds of your average person, but Jesus came into the world to be a servant. In fact, that's one of the things he said to his disciples. He said in Mark's gospel, look at the Gentiles, how they lord authority over people. But that's not how it's to be among you. Whoever wants to be the greatest must become the least. Jesus in the upper rooms got down on his hands and knees and he began to wash the feet of the disciples in John 13. To the point where it made the apostle Peter uncomfortable. Peter didn't want any part of it. And Jesus said to Peter, if you don't have a part of this, you don't have a part of me. Because this is who I am. This is my program. And so these are the things that we think about this particular time of the year, commemorating the birth of Jesus. Eternity itself, one who is destined to rule will come into the world not just through Israel, but through Judah, and not just through Judah, but through Bethlehem, and not just Bethlehem, but the correct of two Bethlehems. And he will have a very little, insignificant beginning, which will prefigure his death of humiliation as an adult. For the sins of the world. This, by the way, is why when Herod was nervous about his own throne, these wise men showing up from Babylon, it says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The wise men in Herod's court knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born because they had studied what we've studied this evening. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Why did God go to all of this trouble? It's very simple. Because He wants a relationship with you. Jesus came into the world to live a life in our place that we could never live, of 100% obedience to the law of God. He came into the world to die a cruel death on a Roman wooden cross 2,000 years ago to pay for my violations of the law because he knew I couldn't pay for them on my own. His final words on the cross were, it is finished. 
where he asks us, in fact, he commands us to trust in what he has done 2,000 years ago to be made right with God. All of us are born into this world separated from the God that made us because of sin. Jesus came into the world to fix that problem. He came into the world and was born a very special way to fix that problem. And what he says to us is don't trust in your own good works to be made right before God. Trust in the good work that I have done for you 2,000 years ago through my death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And it all began with his miraculous advent, his miraculous birth into our world. Don't let the Christmas season slip by you without understanding this basic fact. God loves you. God did something to fix the number one problem that we have, the problem of sin. And I would encourage anyone within the sound of my voice, even as I'm speaking, to accept his free offer of salvation. You accept his free offer of salvation by believing. Believing means to trust, to rely upon, to depend upon. There comes a point in a person's life where they come under the conviction of the Spirit of God and they place their faith for their eternity, for their forgiveness, for the safekeeping of their soul exclusively into Jesus Christ. I would encourage anyone within the sound of my voice to do that because He is the reason for the season. Christmas to me is sort of a strange time in our culture. We have all kinds of parties and get-togethers, but we forget to invite Jesus. How would you feel if I had a birthday party for you and brought all your friends over and we had a great big party and celebration and I forgot to invite you? That's sort of what we're doing with Christmas in the United States of America. I would encourage you not to let this season slip by with that mentality without understanding the significance of the season. He is the reason for the season. And Micah spoke about it 700 years before it happened. Shall we pray? Father, we're grateful for this special time of the year, this special time of celebration. Help us in the midst of all of the festivities and sometimes stresses, sometimes economic stresses, to keep our focus on you. I do pray, Lord, that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that is unclear about their own eternity, that they'd come talk to me after the service as I am available. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said. And Gabe has some final instructions for candle lighting.